convicted by the power of God's Word. We began in Mark chapter 1, in verse 1 last week, with this announcement, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I remind you that the good news was a victory announcement. Christianity is not just a new list of rules, not just more commandments, not just some good advice about life. It is the announcement of what God has done for you. Now here's today's headline. Odd Rabbi Calls Disciples. That's our headline. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been called odd? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Have you ever called somebody odd? Have you ever thought somebody was odd? Okay, well, we've all been there one way or the other, you know. Now, that's always an odd thing for someone to call you odd. Uh, You always love it when they follow up with the next line. You are odd. You are unusual. But I mean that in a good way, okay? You appreciate it when they put it that way. And when we talk about Jesus being odd, let me tell you guys, he was really odd. But in a good way. You know, the word odd, I love the dictionary definition, is unusual or unexpected in a way that attracts your interest or attention. Let me tell you, Jesus was odd in a good way that attracted people's attention. Here we are, crazy, 2,000 years later, still riveted by this story. And so here's some of the things we're going to talk about. He calls disciples arbitrarily. Jesus teaches authoritarily, authoritatively. And finally, Jesus lives authentically. Those were odd things in his day, still odd. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Interesting, Jesus is not the first teacher to use this phrase, fishers of men. Many philosophers used it. That they had something that they would teach that was so inviting, it would hook people. It would bring them in. And so Jesus says to these ordinary fishermen, I'm calling you to start fishing not for fish, but to fish for people. And look at their response. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, don't make the mistake that I made the first time I read the Gospel of Mark is that I assumed this is the first time they'd ever seen Jesus. And this, you know, rabbis walking down the beach, follow me, and they just take off. Well, they'd seen him before. They'd witnessed some of his miracles. But still, nevertheless, it's pretty amazing that they're willing to leave, we'll see, everything to follow him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So here's our first thing about how odd Jesus was. Jesus calls disciples arbitrarily. I don't mean whimsically. I mean he called them on his own initiative. Listen, we don't understand that as being odd. There were lots of rabbis in Jesus' day who had disciples. But here's the norm. The norm is you came and asked the rabbi if you could be their disciple. We have no record before Jesus, after Jesus, of any rabbi calling his own disciples. Now what does that say to us about Jesus? He's the one taking the initiative. He's the one in the pursuit. 
And, and he calls them with two words that could sum up who we're trying to be. Sometimes we make this so complicated, but Jesus could sum it up in these two words. Follow me. Say that with me. Follow me. Because that's what it's all about in being a Christian is following Jesus. And, and guys, as Jesus calls these people, do you notice? They had to leave everything. And Jesus demands a priority. Look at these two points here. Jesus demands priority over family. In ancient cultures, that would be everything. To say, you got to leave your family and just come on and follow me. And then for, to immediately do that, that's radical. And maybe in our day, maybe the next point might be even more challenging. Jesus demands priority over our careers. They had to leave their fishing business, where they'd base their life on their career zone, to follow Him. Listen to me. The call of Christ is no less radical today. He will not take second place. He wants priority over your family, yes, and even over your career. Everything else is in second. And the amazing thing here is these men were immediately willing to follow Him. Now, here's a couple questions that have to come up here. What right did Jesus have to ask this? I mean, Jesus asked some rather radical things as he walks on this earth. You got to put me above family? In one place, he goes so far as to say, in comparison to your love for me, your love for your family will appear to be hatred. What right does he have? What right does he have to disrupt your life? And say, hey, listen to me. You're putting your career before me and you need to stop it. Well, well Jesus, I'm not going to make as much money. You just need to stop it. Well, well, you know, your family has become so important to you that it's crowding me out of your life. You need, to, you need to get this thing in perspective. What right does he have? And why do these guys are willing to do it just immediately? Why would we be willing to do it immediately? Well, that brings us to the next point about why Jesus was odd. Jesus teaches authoritatively. Authoritatively. He's got authority. Now, if you kept reading the story, we'll see what happens. Jesus goes into a synagogue. He walks in. He's the guest speaker. And he speaks. And there's two words that keep on popping up in the Gospel of Mark. The people were amazed. They're always amazed at Jesus. But the other word is, they're amazed because he spoke with authority. Unlike the other scribes and rabbis, he spoke with authority. And then we see another story that follows this, where there's a demon-possessed man. And Jesus, the man, the, the demon-possessed man knows who Jesus is. And he shrieks it out. And Jesus heals him. And again, we see those two words, the people were just absolutely amazed even the demons obeyed him and then they said where does he get this kind of authority you see the reason that jesus has a call on your life the reason that jesus could have a radical call on these men's life is because jesus has the authority to do it now what does it mean to have authority here's here's the original root of this word it means out of the original stuff it means Jesus is not speaking off what somebody else has said. See, that's the difference. 
when another guest speaker would come to the synagogue, maybe a scribe or a rabbi, their authority was found in who they could quote. That's very similar to preaching today. When I say to you, the only authority in this is not my thoughts, it's, it's does it line up with Scripture? And so we're going to look at Scripture because that's where the authority is. And that was the way it was for teachers in Jesus' day. They had to quote a scripture or a rabbi or some famous thought. But Jesus quotes no one but himself. He has the original stuff. Later in the book of Mark, we will see that Jesus had authority even over the Sabbath. They're all upset with Jesus because Jesus appears to be breaking the Sabbath laws. And Jesus says, guys, you can't tell me what the Sabbath laws are. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the author of the Sabbath. Let me tell you what the Sabbath is about. You have distorted it. So he speaks with authority. He speaks as one who has the original stuff. When Jesus speaks, it's not someone quoting somebody. It's someone who is the author of life. And authority is a big theme in the book of Mark. He's got authority over disease. He's got authority over demons. He even has authority over death. No wonder people were so amazed. He had authority over every area of life. And that's why Jesus has the right in your life to say, you need to get your priorities straight, buddy. What right do you have to come shake my life up? I'm the author of life. I've got authority. You need to listen. And guys, that that was odd. It's odd that he called disciples. It's odd that he had this kind of authority. Nobody else had ever talked that way. They're amazed. No one else gets up and says, hey, here's the way it is. Well, why? Because I said so. Don't quote anybody else to prove it. I said so. And then, guys, here may be the most radically odd thing about Jesus is is that Jesus lives authentically I mean he lives it out if you look what Jesus says about teachers in his day you'll find out that many of them Jesus says they were hypocrites they said one thing and they lived another way listen to me our Lord Jesus never had to say do as I say not as I do some of us had to say that Maybe you had to say that to our own children. Okay, on this area, you know, your dad's a pretty much screw up. Do as I say, not as I do. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't ever have to say that. Jesus always lived out authentically what he said. Guys, that's powerful. And that's why, despite the fact of his demands, people then and today are drawn to him. He lived it out. I'll never forget years ago going to a, a health spa here in town. And uh, I'm working out, and I'm back in my favorite workout part. You've probably heard me tell this story. I'm in the whirlpool, and uh, <laughs> I was really pushing it that day. And so um, I, I, I'm back there, and there's this guy gets his name is John, and we get in this conversation. He finds out I'm a minister, and so he starts asking me all these questions, you know, about church and beliefs and stuff and i'm trying to do my best to answer it and it's a, it's a good conversation i invite him to church he acts like he's in come and then in the middle of this conversation just abruptly almost rudely he says i gotta ask you one more thing i'm like okay john what is it man why are you so mad what is it he said are you living what you're talking to me about and i said to him 
I, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. I'm not perfect, but I truly believe this and trying to live it. John, why do you ask it that way? I'll never forget his answer 30 years ago. He says, you know what? I work in downtown Montgomery at the Supreme Court building and my desk butts up against another desk. And there's a lady at that desk who goes to your church and she's on the phone gossiping all day. And I just want to tell you, if you were that way, I didn't want to come to your church. Could you blame him? He said, buddy, what did you say to him? I said, what's her name? (laughs) I mean, I hope you didn't work at the Supreme Court 30 years ago. (laughs) What's he saying is we want somebody who's authentic. And that's why we're so drawn to Jesus, because he's so real. He lives it out. And it draws us. He has authority over our life. So here's here's what I want to close out with today. I want to look at what I call a day in the life of Jesus. What? How did Jesus spend his day? If we're going to take the, the... The challenge to follow him, to leave everything else to follow him, what would our day look like? Because, you you know, we could talk about all kinds of radical ways for you to follow Jesus today, but today I want to keep it really simple. How would you spend your day? What would you do when you began your day? What would you do when you go to work? What would you do when you go to school? How would it look? Let's just look at this. Let's go now to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now, let me say this before we get to that verse. The day before, Jesus has been the master miracle worker. I mean, he's healing all kinds of diseases. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, people are coming by the droves because he can heal them. Pretty amazing. But the next morning, after a long night... Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. How did Jesus begin his day? Write this down. He started the day with God. It's just so critical. As tired as he must have been, as as drained as he had to be from all the miracles and all the people pressing against him, Jesus knows before he meets man again, he must first meet his father God. Jesus understood what he said in John 15 verse 5. I can do nothing without him. And so Jesus starts his day with God. There's some practical things here about how you ought to start your day. Jesus gets up early. Jesus goes off alone. Now for some of us that aren't morning people, this is a little bit challenging. Jesus goes off alone. He wants to start it with God before he does anything else. I challenge you, before you even get out of the bed, pray to God. One of my favorite quotations by a man named Albert Lemons. I hope it convicts you the way it convicts me. Albert Lemons says, The most arrogant thing a man can do is to leave his house in the morning without praying. Did you hear that? It's arrogance to start your day without God. At a minimum, get to yourself somewhere, get on your knees and say, God, would you be in charge of this day? Would you guide me through this day? So let's see how else he spent his day. He starts it with God. Look at verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, stop right there for a moment, guys. One of the keys to me of studying the Bible is trying to put yourself in that place. And in this passage, to me, the key is what is the voice tone? How do they say everyone's looking for you? Jesus, everybody's looking for you. They're so excited about you. I, I, 
that's really not the way I read it. You can read it that way. I think they're perturbed. I mean, we've had record crowds the day before. There's all these people lined up to see you now. And what are you doing, Jesus, but out here goofing off by yourself? Everybody is looking for you. What are you thinking? They're they're a little perturbed at him. I love Jesus' reply. I think we can learn something here. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching their synagogues and driving out demons. What do they think? Jesus, you're crazy. we got a crowd back at the home. You've been building the crowd since yesterday. They're all there. What do you mean, let's go somewhere else? Doesn't make any sense. Number two, how did he spend his day? He looked for new opportunities. He looked for new opportunities. Guys, listen to me. For a preacher, I can speak. This is odd. He's got a crowd. Why doesn't he go back to that crowd? Why? Because he knows there are new opportunities that he needs to face. He's not just going to keep doing the same old, same old. Listen to me. Churches get boring when you just do the same thing over and over again. Christianity gets boring when you just keep on the same routine. For many of us who have been Christians now for decades, this is our challenge. We're just sort of stuck in our deal. Oh, we have a nice quiet time and we spend some time with the Lord and we go to work and we go to church. And that's good. All those things are really good. But the question is, do I wake up in the day thinking, God, what are you going to do new today? How are you going to reveal yourself to me in a new way? That might need to be part of that prayer, Lord. I'd like to see something new about you, something new about life. What new opportunity, God, are you going to put in my path? As a church, we've got to always be looking for new opportunities. So I'm so excited about our missions. That's why we need to keep giving so we, we don't have to pull some people off the field. Because we as a church have been looking for new opportunities in areas, some areas where the gospel's not been preached. That's what I love about some of the new small groups that have been formed. And we laugh about camo for Christ, but I think there's some good old, I won't say the word, guys out there who love to fish and love to hunt, you know, who can get on that basis and build relationships and get in the Word together. I mean, they really wanted me to teach the class, but I was unavailable, okay? Well, no, that would have been a disaster. But Al Milligren is the perfect redneck for that class. I mean, you, you need to be in that class. I love those new opportunities. And some of you guys have formed some new groups out there. Just talking to somebody a couple of days ago, went out to a new group next Sunday, you know, where they're trying to minister in a special way. Guys, look for new opportunities. Don't just do it the same way over and over again. Now, do you notice this about Jesus? There's a balance here to his life. He starts his day with God, and then he goes out to be with people. And God, some of us are drawn one way or the other. Some of us just love to sit and be with God all day long. Some of us would rather be with people all day long. Most of us are naturally inclined one direction or the other. Here's what you need to learn from Jesus. He did both. And if you're naturally inclined just to want to be out there with people, you need to push yourself to spend some great time with God. And if you just want to crawl in your corner and be by yourself with God all day, you need to push yourself to get out of your corner and go and get out there with some people. So, look at what Jesus did. He looked for new opportunities. And number three, here's the key here. Because he knew his purpose. He says to these men, we've got to go somewhere else. I have come to preach. Now listen closely to this. Jesus' greatest purpose on earth was not 
physical healing. Oh, he did some of that. It approved his authority over everything. But listen, he didn't heal everybody. He could have. He didn't go to every hospital and clear it out. He could have. In this instance, he deliberately leaves some people. Why? Because he knows his primary purpose is not the healing of the body, but the healing of the soul. He knew what he was about. And so he went to preach. He said, we got to get somewhere else. They need to hear the good news. I love the story I read this week about Billy Graham. A man was the president of a Christian school called Seattle Pacific University. And he, he called Dr. Graham asking him if he would speak at their graduation. And he really flowers it up. He says, you know, this is a prestigious school. The graduation service will be held in the Seattle Opera House. I mean, it's going to be beautiful. There's going to be a lot of celebrities there. Dr. Graham, we want you more than anybody else to come and to speak at this graduation. Listen to Billy Graham's response. David, I'm flattered by your invitation, but I must say no. You see, God has called me to be an evangelist, preaching the gospel to sinners. I would find great joy to be with you, knowing that I would be among Christian friends. But if I say yes, I would have to turn down an invitation to preach where other men have never preached. What an awesome response. You see, listen, my friends, many of us are way too busy because we don't know how to say no. And you'll never know how to say no until you know your purpose. Jesus could say no even to this incredible healing service because he knew his purpose. Dr. Graham could say no even to this great event because he knew his purpose. Many of us are not being used by God because we don't know how to say no. We're saying yes, not even to evil things. We're just saying yes to good things. But we need to say no so that we can reach someone for Jesus Christ. Know your purpose, and then you'll know how to say no. Let's keep watching the story. Look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand and he touched the man. Next point, how did Jesus spend his day? He was touched by people. Now you're probably familiar with the awful disease of leprosy just from history. It was a terrible disease in that you lost the feelings in your extremities. And more and more, you, you know, if you put your hand on a stove, you wouldn't know it. If someone cut you, you might bleed to death because you didn't feel it. And it was awful disease. And, and, and it was so terrible that people were quarantined in that day, couldn't be around other people. They were outcast to the outside of the city. If they actually walked to the city maybe to get some food, they had to cover their face and they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. It was a terrible way to live. And yet Jesus, when he sees this person, here's key word here, is he, um, he was touched. The Bible says here he had compassion. This word compassion is a strong word. It's not just pity, that's too condescending. It's not simply sympathy, that's too superficial. It's not even empathy, that's too distant. It's a physical word. The word here means Jesus was moved in his guts, in his bowels. 
He physically reacts to seeing this person devastated by this disease. The, the word even carries with it the idea of anger. He's angry at what Satan has done to this person because of the, the results of sin in the world. Jesus was touched by people. You know, that had to be challenging. You ever feel like because you watch the news or you just live life and even you come to church and there's always another need, another person hurting, another person with cancer, another person going through divorce. It's easy to become almost um, untouchable. But that's not Jesus. He was touched by this. I mean, he felt it deeply. And guys, for us to live our days like Jesus, we've got to learn to be touched by people. How do you do that? You put yourself in their place. That's the amazing thing about the Son of God. As perfect as he was in every way, he could put himself in the place of a sinner, of a sick person, and he could feel it in his guts. So guys, some of us need to stop being so wrapped up in our own little life. And we meet people with problems, we need to slow down enough to go, what would it be like to have that problem? What would it be like to hear that about your daughter? What would it be like to have that disease? What would it be like to be that lost? See, sometimes we get angry at the person because their life's so messed up. Jesus was angry at Satan. And then let's see our, our, our last point here. Go back to verse 41 again. Here's another translation there. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Last point here. How did Jesus spend his day? He touched people. Here's the amazing thing about this story. Jesus did not have to touch this man. He could have healed him at a distance. He broke every medical idea. He broke every social taboo to, uh, to, to reach out and to touch this man. But he did. He did. Can you imagine what that meant to that man after all these months, possibly years, of no one physically touching him because of his leprosy, that Jesus touched him? So not only was he touched by people, but he touched people. Our men's retreat speaker quoted a, a famous African-American poet, Maya Angelou, with these words. And I wrote this down. Probably it stuck with me from that retreat more than anything else. People will forget what you say. People will forget what you do. People will never forget how you make them feel. Could you hear that? People forget what you say, forget what you do. They will never forget how you make them feel. Can you imagine how Jesus made this guy feel? Listen, you want to follow Jesus? Here's the way you start. Start living your day like him. What's it look like? Let me show you again those five points. He started the day with God. He looked for new opportunities. He knew his purpose. He was touched by people and he touched people. Listen to me. Jesus was odd. This was not the way the other teachers, rabbis lived. Jesus was odd in a way that attracted people. Can I ask you this morning, is your life odd? I mean, does it stand out? Where you work, are you the person who's just as gossipy and judgmental as everybody else? 
just as negative as everybody else? Are you the person who's touched by people, who touches people? I mean, does your day look different than your neighbor's day who doesn't go to church? Is the only difference between you and your neighbor that you go to church and they don't go to church? Or is the difference that you start your day on your knees before God and you let God walk with you all day long? I ask you this morning, are you willing to be odd? Are you willing to be different? God has called us to be an odd people, oh yes, in a good way. I love the story of the little girl. She came home from church and... She was talking to her daddy, and she said, Daddy, what, what, is a, what is a Christian? And the dad said, you know, a Christian is somebody who lives like Jesus, who loves people, who actually loves everybody, who takes care of people, who reaches out to people, who doesn't judge people, who has compassion. And then the little girl sort of shook her daddy up when... She looked at him and said, Daddy, have I ever seen one? Because our world is asking us today, have we seen one? Are they seeing a group of people that are odd in a good way? Is there a difference between us and the people around us? Because we have answered that two-word call to follow Jesus. So here's my challenge. My challenge is for us to walk out here today and to spend our days like Jesus. I've given you a simple outline. To spend it like Jesus, to be odd, to be different like he was odd. Now, now let me say this. When these disciples in Mark chapter 1 hear the call of Jesus, the key word there is they left their nets immediately. And here's what I want to say to you. There's got to come a moment in your life when you make a decision to be different. There's got to be a moment where you say, you know, I've heard enough. I know enough. I'm ready to make this radical commitment to follow Jesus. And I'm going to do it right now. Immediately. There's some point where you decide. You don't just sort of, you know, slowly move into this thing. There, there is a moment where you go, okay, either I'm going to follow him or I'm going to live like everybody else. Here's the problem, guys, with not being odd. Here's the truth about it. It's just not working. This philosophy of the world is that you live for things or you live for yourself or you live for possessions or you live for career accolades or you live... Guys, listen, it doesn't work. When you get to the end of your life and your body is withering away and, and all those things don't count, Who cares? But listen to me, if you'll live this way and you've invested and blessed people and God has blessed you, oh, you've been a little bit odd, you might even be ostracized in some places because you live differently. I'm telling you, that works. So can I ask you, have you come to that place where you've made the decision to follow Jesus? And guys, when you do it, you just got to do it right then. We've got that moment right now. Today, there may be someone here, and you're ready to be decisive about following Jesus. Maybe you want to become a Christian today and be born again. Maybe you've been a Christian, but you've sort of wandered away from it. And your life, honestly, is not odd at all. It's too much like everybody around you. You're not having the impact Jesus had because you're not like him. And today, you're ready to immediately. Let me tell you again, immediately. 
If God's moving in your heart right now, don't wait to the second verse. I'm telling you, immediately leave your nets, leave your family, leave whatever you got to leave, and follow Jesus. Oh, he'll give you back your career. He'll give you back your family to bless. But it'll be in a whole different perspective. Is there somebody here today who's willing to call, answer the call of Jesus immediately? If you are, why don't you come? Come on while we stand and sing.